saved American coal. Nuclear energy. Natural gas. Hydro. Solar power. Wind turbines. We're becoming a monumental exporter of natural gas. This boom in the United States is not a bubble that's going away. The oil's still there. I'd rather pump it from another country and save ours, and then when the rest of the world runs out, hey, guess what? We can yeah. still turn on our lights. We've run into a problem where we have constraints, where there are limits now. The new phase we're going into related to the exhaustion of these resources, there's no replacement. This is a one-shot affair, and we're unprepared for it. Really, we do not have very much more time to get a handle on this problem. It's better to get to a renewable future, a sustainable future, sooner rather than later. Get there before we do the environmental damage, not after. This is a special free episode of the Energy Transition Show with Chris Nelder, recorded on November 9th, 2017, live from Duke Energy Week at Duke University. In this short interview with the chair of the Energy and Environment Department at the Nicholas School at Duke University, we explore what motivates students in the Energy and Environment Program at Duke, what topics they find most challenging, and why they are interested in energy transition. We go now to our live interview with Dr. Tim Johnson. So welcome, Tim, to the Energy Transition Show. Thank you, Chris. So to begin with, what sorts of topics do you see students taking a particular interest in these days? Definitely renewables, but really anything to do with evolving power markets. And of course, that extends not just through renewables, but into storage, electric vehicles, you know, supply and demand side. But really, I think students are interested in what's coming next you know, with the energy system. Okay. And why do you think they're interested? I think they like to work in a field that's on the cutting edge. You know, many of them are motivated by environmental concerns. And of course, you know, looking at renewables, definitely a solution to a number of problems associated with energy supply and use. Honestly, there's just something attractive, you know, not sexy about renewables, about clean tech, and that draws a lot of students in. Hmm. Okay. So what topics do you think students are finding it particularly challenging or difficult to grasp? I would probably give you the same list, but particularly power markets, understanding how power yeah, markets... I think we all struggle with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, how power markets operate in the U.S. You know, you, you, you begin talking about restructuring and economics, physics, regulation. You go down a rabbit hole. In fact, you probably go down several rabbit holes each, oh, yeah. with a different RTO or ISO or even in regulated markets, it gets complicated. So understanding that structure... But again, you know, to understand power markets, you need to understand the physics, and that gets incredibly complicated. Yes, it does. Um, just even understanding how power systems operate, different ancillary services, you know, not even getting into the details of, say, reactive versus real power. Oh, yeah. But then I guess what makes power markets fascinating, and I think students who study this seize on it right away, is that it's this inseparable combination of physics and economics. Mm -hmm. um, you can't disentangle the two if you want to understand how the markets operate. And there's so much change. I'm just in my own teaching, and what makes it very interesting for me is that I really need to start over every year with my course notes because so much has changed. Right. And the assumptions you make one year, conventional wisdom, you know, is nothing that I can share the following year. That's really a great point. It's something that I try to highlight a lot on the show is how quickly everything changes, because especially where you have studies that try to look back, you know, to say, well, what are the trends? Like, for instance, in battery costs. Well, if you're looking at data that's three years old, it might as well be useless. Right. 
<laughs> things are just happening so fast. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm not going to predict, I'll point to other predictions when it comes to battery costs. But it is interesting, you know, if, if you look at dollar per kilowatt battery costs, compare it to dollar per watt yeah. PV costs, sure. or even dollar per lumen LED costs, you yeah. see that same exponential decline. Yeah. And you, you have the parallels there across three technologies that have changed rapidly in the last just few years, not even the last decade. And again, I wouldn't want to make predictions, but it's been fun to watch those trends. Mm, it is. So how much of an influence do you think politics exerts on creating student interest or disinterest, for that matter, in energy studies? You know, I think students are motivated by the field for a couple of reasons. One, they want to work in an area that's exciting, that's dynamic, but that also has, you know, it's useful from a social perspective whether they're motivated by politics. You know, a lot of our students, I don't think, are particularly interested in politics. I, well, they are, but they're not looking for political careers or careers in D.C. or with the federal government. Many of them want to work in private industry. And if I look where our, our graduates go from the Nicholas School of Energy and Environment program, more than half are going to the private sector. Mm. It's a mix of consulting and then at companies large and small, traditional and cutting edge. But very few have a desire to work for the federal government. There are certainly students who have a more activist bent, but that doesn't characterize the typical student. I think a lot of them are more pragmatic and really want to do good. And then, again, have the excitement of working in an area that's changing fast and that you know really is shaping history in a way. Yeah, well, I think that's really more what I meant by how much your politics influencing them. Like, here we are in the Trump administration, which has definitely, clearly, unambiguously allied itself with the fossil fuel industry and positioned itself against the renewable industry and against energy transition. I just wonder if students are particularly interested in that and thinking, well, I want to be part of the energy transition because of this political context. You know, it was very interesting a year ago yesterday with the election. I was teaching our foundation energy environment course late in the afternoon, the day after the election and set aside lesson plans. I think most of us did, I wouldn't say crisis counseling, but you know, <laughs> students were feeling pretty distressed, you know, yeah. questioning why am I here? Why am I spending yeah. you know, this much money on tuition? Will there be jobs for me? Is this even a field that has a future? Yeah. And you know, we talked about why the area is relevant, if, if not more relevant, but you know, I think the real proof came this fall with our starting class. We had a starting class of about 26 students in the Energy Environment Program in 2016. We were near 50 this fall. Wow. We wouldn't have had that if people didn't think there was a future in energy and environmental work. That's really interesting. So do you think the students that are entering the field because they want to make change for various political and social reasons? Or do you see a lot of just kind of traditional engineering students who are interested in the math and science? Put that way, I'd say the former. You know, they are interested in doing good. Okay. They make a buck along the way, great. But about half of our students, our students are very diverse. And about half come in with physical science or engineering backgrounds. But I don't think many, I mean, I always can point to exceptions, but I don't think many want to be nuts and bolts engineers hmm. or design engineers. Interesting. Those who have undergrad engineering backgrounds certainly appreciate the perspective and the insight it gives them. They can open up that black box and understand technology and technology potential. Right. But they're not coming here to be 
engineers. They're, okay. they're coming here to our program, the Energy Environment Program, to understand the energy system, you know, how we supply and use energy, you know, how we got to where we are today, how it works, you know, how it exists on the ground today, and what's feasible going forward. But really, the levers you pull to change that system, whether it be science and technology, economics and finance, policy, regulation, even institutional design and behavior, and how those areas interact, enable, and constrain change. And that's the program we have here is very systems focused, is broad in that sense, although there's a lot of room in the curriculum for students to go deep into different areas. But they have that systems level understanding. And when they graduate, they're the boundary spanners who can talk to the lawyers, they can talk to the engineers, even if they aren't an engineer, they can talk to the finance people and make those connections. And I think those are the types of positions that our students are after. I mean, mm -hmm. they're, they're, it's hard to describe yourself as a graduate coming out of a program like this, but you know, again, those are the kind of the interdisciplinary positions that our students are looking for. We get engineering students, even graduate level engineering students in our classes, but there are engineers who want to be engineers who want to take a couple classes to understand context. You know, again, our students here really want to operate at the systems level. And there's definitely room there for engineering work, but they're not doing the engineering design work. Okay. And how much student interest do you find in topics having specifically to do with energy transition versus just sort of getting prepared for a career in the utility industry or whatever? Oh, definitely both. Our students like applied, call them tools types classes. They want to learn particular skills. They want mm. knowledge that's useful. In class, if I start waxing philosophically for more than 10 minutes, I, I, I know it, um, <laughs> or the students let me know it. However, you know, being on campus here, there is so much excitement for what's going on, and students are plugged into the podcast, they're reading the blogs, you know, sharing articles. So that, that larger context is there, and I think you know, one of the reasons why you come back to grad school, especially in a residential program like this, is to have that experience with other students, you know, sharing information and learning together. So when it comes to classes, you know, they like applied, but that's just part of their experience here. Mm -hmm. um, so the topics you cover from very technical issues to, you know, broader, let's look ahead several years and understand what's happening now in that context. It's all relevant. Yeah, it is all relevant. I'm continually surprised at how much things that I didn't really expect to be relevant to energy transition suddenly become so. Uh, because energy really is at the core of our society in so many ways. Yeah. And things continually happen to remind me of that. But I, I want to ask you a question that I've like to pose to many of our guests in the past. Let me put it this way for you. If you had a virtually unlimited budget to apply to teaching energy topics, how would you spend it? Give everybody subscriptions to your show, your podcast. No, um, that's you know, the I, right answer. <laughs> you can edit that out. No, I, we do a couple of field trips with our students every year, and field trips are expensive because we're going out to the Bay Area. And, yeah, you know, spending several days out there touring, really the clean energy industry. Okay, that's not cheap. And we can take a limited number of students as a result. And yet those trips are really fundamental to the program. You know, students often describe them as being you know, one of the best parts of their experience here. Hmm. I think doing more of that for the students, you know, if I had money, I would do that. 
yeah, I, other things, of course, I'd hire more faculty, right. maybe bring in more practitioners. We're a professional master's program, and having practitioners in the classroom adds a great deal of value. So, you know, being able to bring in somebody for a week, a couple of weeks, or even as a visitor for a semester, again, that takes money. So yeah. there are a number of things like that. If I had the money, I'd, I'd use it. So a broader experience outside of the classroom. Exactly. Yeah. No, students need it to connect with their learning. Oh, I agree. Um, there's nothing like seeing things on the ground, in person, yeah. uh, talking to the people who run whatever it is you're looking at. I remember we were sure. at one of Nextera's wind farms in California, Birds Landing, last spring on our California trip. And we were there with the folks that staffed the site. And we were even going through their spare parts warehouse and our students were interested. <laughs> there. The, the fellows were really excited about what they were showing us. Mm-hmm. And that adds so much. You really understand not just the costs or performance of a wind turbine as a few numbers, but you understand what it takes, the quirkiness of different turbines, for instance, or just what it takes to run a wind farm when yeah. you see it up close and have a couple hours to talk to the people who are responsible for keeping it going. So yeah, yeah. those experiences, like I said, are invaluable. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, I think we can wrap it there. Thank you very much, Tim, for being on the Energy Transition Show. Thank you, Chris. Well, that's it for this episode of the Energy Transition Show. Thanks for listening. You can find our show archive and give us feedback and suggestions at energytransitionshow.com and follow us on Twitter at Transition Show. Our theme music was by Mike Sugar and Mark Burnfield, who you can find online at mikesugarmusic.com. The Energy Transition Show is a production of the XE Network. <laughs>